Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the testimony of Chris Wilson, a fellow lawyer and former friend of Alex Murdoch. In this installment, we present an argument regarding the upcoming testimony of Michael Satterfield, the son of Alex Murdoch's former housekeeper, Gloria, who died after a fall that occurred at the Murdoch's Moselle Road property. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It is the afternoon of February 9th, 2023, day 12 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, Prosecutor Creighton Waters confirmed with Chris Wilson that, despite being Alex Murdoch's best friend, he was unaware of any of the defendant's drug use or illegal activities before September 4th, 2021. As we begin this installment, the state announces their intention to call Michael Satterfield to the stand. Satterfield, who goes by the first name Tony, previously testified at the in-camera hearing before Judge Clifton Newman, so that the court could determine the admissibility of evidence of the defendant's financial crimes in his murder trial. Mr. Satterfield's mother, Gloria, worked for the Murdochs as a housekeeper. She died from a fall at the Murdochs Moselle Road property on February 2, 2018. During his in-camera testimony, Mr. Satterfield stated that Alex Murdoch approached him soon after Gloria's funeral to suggest that he would handle making a claim against his homeowner's insurance providers on behalf of Ms. Satterfield's estate. When the court returns from the lunch break, defense attorney Dick Harpudlian makes a motion requesting that Judge Newman exclude the testimony of Michael Satterfield on the grounds that this testimony is not relevant to the events and circumstances at issue in this trial. He differentiates the financial crimes committed by the defendant with respect to his client's legal fees from his actions in the Satterfield matter by arguing that Murdoch was actually a party to the claim in the Satterfield matter. Here's Dick Harpudlian. Mr. Murdoch converted those proceeds, as, like all the other conversions we've heard about. The difference is, in this case, he is the, the victim, um, and, you know, Mr. Waters used the term gilding the lily the other day. He told us it was piling off. Under the 403 analysis, and again, this is being allowed for the limited purpose of motive, we believe and would submit to the court that this is more prejudicial than it is probative. They've got records they put in of millions of dollars of, um, of uh, theft. You know, we would offer uh, that if he has some summary chart or we would, pursuant to our previous objections, uh, stipulate to it as to the loss involved in this case, um, purposes of, of 
what Your Honor's already allowed, um, with the, with the, obviously that stipulation subject to our previous objection, rather than calling, you know, witnesses who are victims that add nothing to the evidence that Your Honor's allowed, and we would, under Rule 403, object to the prejudice outweighed by any probative value. Prosecutor Creighton Waters responds for the state. Your Honor, again, uh, Mr. Satterfield testified in camera. Uh, there has already been testimony admitted again about him stealing through the fake forge from his clients, stealing from his law firm. Uh, but this is something different. This is where a situation where he was actually a civil defendant and still managed to misappropriate that money as well. Uh, and additionally, the amount of money is extremely significant. It's, uh, it's millions of dollars. Uh, and, and the other thing about this is, is that as you heard from Mr. Satterfield, uh, you know, this, the, the fact of this being out there was kind of percolating out in the world, and he had conversations with Mr. Murdoch as time was approaching, and Mr. Murdoch's telling him, oh, everything's okay with the case and all the rest of it, when the money had long been misappropriated and spent by Mr. Murdoch. So this is a, a different type, and it also has a connection with the uh, the overriding situation that Mr. Murdoch found himself in. Uh, and so we believe that uh, it, it still uh, is, is fair game and is not, uh, uh, its is probative value is not substantially outweighed by the danger of any unfair prejudice. Now, what is the timeline with regard to Satterfield? So, uh, Mr. Satterfield, uh, as far as the communications with the defendant, the, the money actually, the first settlement I believe was uh, misappropriated not long after the boat case in uh, March of 19. This is actually another aspect that's going on as well. There's been testimony about how the boat case changed things and uh, it created some, some very significant difficulties for the defendant that was coming to a head at that time. Uh, the uh, subsequent recovery, which was much larger, of about $3.8 million, was at some point after that. However, there are, in fact, uh, communications, and you heard from Mr. Uh, Satterfield, uh, there are communications uh, text messages, which I provided to the defense, uh, in uh, April of 2021, in which uh, the defendant is assuring him that everything they're working hard on the case and everything is fine and all the rest of it. Uh, and so that is, uh, again, this is part and parcel of the things that are uh, in the, these hidden aspects of this whole other life that the defendant had uh, that are um, percolating as, uh, as everyone moves to uh, June of 2021. Uh, additionally, uh, there are uh, calls. I think Mr. Satterfield testified as to calls in uh, June of 2021, uh, the records reflect some calls on June 22nd between the two of them, but there still are text messages uh, from the defendant. Your Honor, I, I can have something marked at this time and pass it up if you'd like to see it. Uh, these actually uh, were identified after he testified last time, uh, but the defendant reaches out to him and tells him, hey, just checking on you, everything's fine, we're working hard on the case, it's a tough case, it's a complex case, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, don't worry about it when, again, the money had been long misappropriated. Long answer, but not to the question. I said, what is the timeline? And perhaps the, perhaps the text messages have something to do with the timeline. I, I, I recall his testimony, uh, Satterfield's in-camera testimony, uh, something to the effect that in early June or around, at or around that time. The money was diverted in May of 2019. The discovery did not come until Satterfield testified that he heard reports at on at some point in time. That's my question to you. The timeline. He testified that as we move into 2021, late 2021, he's hearing reports, and there are reports out there that there had been a settlement in the case. 
And so ultimately, he, uh, there's discussions with uh, Alec Murdoch, which he'll testify he would, you know, talk with a few times a year uh, about the case and was assured, even though, yes, Mr. Harpootlian's right, that money had been misappropriated a long time ago, that everything was okay, he was working hard on the case. And so that, the fact of, the, the important point to this case is, is that that issue for the defendant is still out there, and he's got this young man, as we move into the spring of 2021, believing that the case is still ongoing and he's still working on it. And that's the connection here as part and parcel of the overwhelming set of circumstances for the defendant. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Defense attorney Dick Harpudlian responds to Creighton Waters regarding the upcoming Satterfield testimony. Your Honor, just briefly, money is misappropriated in 2019. That young man testified he didn't know when he learned that it may have been a settlement. Could have been before June 7th or after June 7th. And the fact that he doesn't know when, I think, contributes to the fact that it calls for speculation that he knew something or that would have in some way would have influenced Alec Murdoch to murder his wife and son. And that's what the only reason this testimony is coming in is to show there was some immediacy. Um, and by the way, if you look at the phone records, the only calls between these folks began on June 22nd, two weeks after, after the, the murders. So it's not temporal, and he can't say whether he had any knowledge of, of uh, the misappropriation of the settlement. Actually, all he know about would be the settlement. Um, and, uh, you know, that, again, that, there was nothing immediate about this on June 7th from this particular witness. Now, again, we'd be more than willing to some sort of stipulation that that's the timeline subject to our previous objections, rather than putting a witness up uh, who's going to testify. He doesn't know when he found out about it. Could have been before June 7th, could have been after. And they have they don't even begin phone calls about it until June 22nd. And um, there's nothing, that, that, no actions begun, no nothing coming forward after or prior to June 22nd. And um, these emails all occur after June 7th. So, uh, again, this is a prejudicial work probative and, and um, you know, this is gilding the lily, this is piling on, this is just more trying to prejudice the jury into believing that somehow someone who steals a bunch of money in, in any way whatsoever would commit a murder. This is character, evidence, pure and simple. Your Honor, I 
the actually the final misappropriation in the Satterfield case was in October of 2020. Uh, and again, uh, there were press articles out there. The texts, uh, he said these emails were after June 7th, and they're not. They're in April. Uh, Mr. Satterfield testified in camera that he remembered having a conversation in June of 2022. After that, uh, we, we actually looked and we found some phone records, which again are June 22nd of 2021, but we also found these text messages from April in which the defendant is reaching out to Mr. Satterfield and assuring him that he's working hard on the case and all the rest of it. And again, that's part and parcel of the things that were percolating out there and part and parcel of the pressures that were on him that uh, the state's theory is he could not solve. Defense attorney Dick Harpudlian again responds to Creighton Waters' argument. Your Honor, just one last point. This all began with this idea argued um, very thoroughly by the Attorney General that all this financial crime stuff is to prove that on the night of June 7th, he knew because of that conversation in the office that he, the, the jig was up, that he, in a day or two, that hearing on Thursday, everyone would know that he was a thief and everything had crashed down on him. And to distract from that and delay things, um, he went home and butchered his son and butchered his wife. Um, and by the way, I might point out, that same day he learned his father was terminal and wouldn't live much longer. Um, and that would be, in my opinion, as much of, if not more, well, enough of a, a distraction I heard. for that, um, that he didn't need. I mean, there's no rational way he would think he'd need to butcher his wife and son to distract, knowing his father's getting ready to die, which would be a distraction in that community, in that law firm. So, again, we, I think we need to get back to why we began this three or four or five. I can't remember how many days we've been doing financial. I mean, th this is a murder trial, not a financial fraud tri trial. And to the extent it goes to motive, again, we're more than willing to stipulate that this amount of money disappeared, uh, that, that it, it, the uh, rightful heirs of it, receipt of it, didn't get it. But putting a child on the stand uh, to talk about and again, he didn't know when he found out about it, or when he began to raise those issues. I believe he's an adult, isn't he? He is an adult. He has a job in an emergency room as a tech. I apologize to the young man. Um, he looks young to me. I'm sorry. Anything further? Uh, Your Honor, I, the only thing I would say is, is that the state's theory isn't as simple as that. It's, it's broader than that. But I, again, I think that this is a different category, and it's part and parcel of everything that was going on as we moved to June 7th, and therefore is relevant for the jury to understand very much uh, as um, the, the pressures that could cause him to murder his wife and son, particularly in the face of the defense condition, that he could never do such a thing. Satterfield testified in camera that in June of 2021, he made a call to uh, Mr. Murdoch asking about the status of the case. He made that call he testified to because he had heard reports that um, that there was some concern um, about the status of the case sufficient to call him to, to cause him to call Mr. Murdoch to ask about the status of it, and um, he testified that he could not remember if if he called uh, Mr. Murdoch or if Mr. Murdoch called him. But yes, I talked to him in June of 2021. That's according to the rough draft of uh, the transcript that has been provided to the court. Uh, I find that this testimony is consistent with the state's theory of Mr. Uh, of the defendant um, being in a frantic state 
seeking to avoid disclosure of these financial crimes and thefts and um, that this testimony is consistent with the state's theory. The court has granted the um, state's motion uh, to allow evidence of other crimes and this is additional evidence that uh, that is close in point in time and is admissible and I deny the motion to exclude it. Yes, sir. Bring to your attention one factual issue. The Attorney General now, has... Of course, I asked, is there anything else, but go ahead. I apologize, Your Honor. <laughs> I'm trying to hurry, if I can, because uh, you yes, know, there may be an ending to this case someday, but I'm not trying to delay it. The phone records the Attorney General is going to present through this witness indicate the only calls, the only calls between the two of them were on June 22nd, two weeks after the murder. So if there's some phone call, there's no mystery about when the phone call came, after June 20, June 7th, two weeks later. So in terms of him making, putting uh, uh, Mr. Murdaugh on alert that something imminent was going to happen, it doesn't, it's two weeks later. Well, it's impossible for anyone to know what's on, on one's mind or um, state of mind uh, at any given point in time, but the magnitude of this case almost morphs all the others in, 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 in the amount. And um, it is something, if one is being concerned and attempting to um, prevent disclosure uh, and seeking to divert attention from the impending disclosure of information, and that disclosure would likely have taken place not only for some of the others that we've had testimony concerning, but uh, most definitely this particular one. So I understand your objection. Um, that's a fact and issue, but I, I find that it's more probative than prejudicial for all the reasons I previously, previously explained. Yes, sir. So, um, and I don't think the, whether it's June 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 20th, 21st, 25th, I don't think it's of any significant difference. Well, Your Honor, you said just a moment ago, and if you charge a jury with this, maybe I'll sit down, which is no one knows what's going on in somebody's mind. And maybe that's something you can tell the jury at the end of this case. Secondly, There's since this is a specific charge on that intent. Moving on, we would ask two things. One, I would accept your ruling. I'm not sure I have to do that, but I'm from the old school. If you didn't preserve it, yes, sir, it was gone. Um, secondly, um, we would ask you to, and I know you said yesterday you weren't going to do this again, but this is, as he's just pointed out, um, a horse of a different color. It's a different character kind and kind of witness. I would ask you to read your charge on this testimony once again. And hopefully, I think that we're close to the end of this financial testimony, so it may be the last time I would request you to read it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Obviously, believe that to the court's discretion. Yes, sir. I have it right here. I will. Thank you. Give it one more time. Let's bring the jury. With Judge Newman denying the defense's motion to exclude Michael Satterfield's testimony, the jury is brought back into court. Judge Newman gives his limiting instruction to the jury. Thank you. Welcome back once again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, the, the state's next witness um, is expected to give testimony, uh, further testimony regarding other crimes uh, committed by the 
defendant, uh, other alleged criminal activity by the defendant. And as I instructed you earlier, um, this the fact that the defendant may or may not have been involved in other criminal activity activity is not evidence of or proof that he committed the offenses alleged uh, in the indictments against him. Uh, this testimony is allowed for the limited purpose of assisting the state in uh, proving the state's theory or allegations regarding motive, and you may not consider it uh, for, for purposes of Mr. Murdoch's character, uh, or you cannot consider that as for propensity to commit other crimes or that it's more likely that he committed uh, these other crimes which he's been charged but not convict, convicted of. Um, but it is being allowed based on the state's theory and representations that it helps explain the, uh, the defendant's motive to commit the crimes for which he is accused. And you may call your next witness. May you please court your honor. The state calls Tony Satterfield. Michael Tony Satterfield steps up to the witness stand. Mr. Satterfield is a thin young man sporting short brown hair and glasses and wears a blue and purple plaid button-down shirt. You can hear our coverage of Mr. Satterfield's previous in-camera testimony in episode 61 of this season of Jury Duty. For concision, we will offer a brief recap of the first part of Prosecutor Creighton Waters' direct examination of Mr. Satterfield. Michael, Tony Satterfield, is 22. He works at Beaufort Memorial Hospital and grew up in Hampton, South Carolina. His mother, Gloria, worked for the Murdochs for over 20 years before her death. According to Mr. Satterfield, his mother not only kept house for the Murdochs, but also babysat their children and became close to the family. And with that brief recap of the first part of Creighton Waters' direct examination of Michael, Tony Satterfield, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we conclude our review of Mr. Satterfield's testimony. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.